<laughs> all right good evening everybody uh welcome uh we're just uh before before uh show chatting about uh old programming languages you know because dave used to use punch cards and stuff so um most definitely you know. 5080 <laughs> cards they were called how long ago was that oh that would be 1978 there you go Some too long ago were alive then but not too many of us in this uh, video chat. <laughs> nope. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I, I did a little bit of basic um, and uh, modern modern languages. Uh, obviously, a little bit of HTML, CSS, and uh, uh, played around with Ruby a little bit a while back. But that's about it. Um, but that's more Dan Dan and Dave's world, I think, and maybe uh, some in Alex's too. So anyway, we'll get started. Uh, that's neither here nor there. So light news week this week. Uh, for those of you who don't know who we are, uh, we've got Dan, um, Alex, uh, myself, and Dave, and Blunty. And it's good to have Blunty back. Uh, he uh, had a little bit of a cross-country move, so uh, good to have him back with us this week. And uh, definitely been missed. So, um, But I do want to get started with the, the two articles um that are of some interest um uh, let me get my screen shared here um i don't know if anybody's been around long enough i've talked about this gentleman a long time ago back when we were first kind of starting out but um this is ryan laidman um he came out to arizona here a couple years back to try and go for the guinness world record of drone speed and I was able to meet with him out in Scottsdale where he was making the attempt uh, several years ago. And he had custom designed a drone um, that he was using to break the record. And um, we did a lot of filming. It was a fun day. Um, I went for my own world record, which he then... Uh, promptly beat the next day but that was really cool for him mine was the vertical to 100 meters um ended up wrecking my uh i did it with a uh impulse rc helix and i think i did about two point i can't remember two point two point seven or three point seven seconds and then he promptly smashed it by an entire second the next day with his custom-made drones but uh it was a fun day um but just recently, uh, a couple days ago, he came back out to Arizona. Um, I was not there for this. This is a picture of his uh, drone. Um, and achieved an average speed of 224 miles an hour with a uh, custom-designed drone. Um, and uh, the fastest, the top speed during his fastest run was 235.68 miles per hour. Um, this gentleman's been after this for a long time. Um, he, uh, previously, I don't know what he used in terms of specs for this thing. Uh, it doesn't detail that out. I'm sure he'll release some of that on his own website. He's got, um, a, he's got a page with all that stuff. If you click on the, um, the video, right it, yeah, from oh, the video, sure. he's got links in the description to okay, the Guinness cool. record, and then he's also got a link to his website where he goes through the build process and the Oops. specs and all kinds of stuff. So. Let's skip the ad here. Close yeah, that first link there. Yeah. Let's see. 
So brief overview, um, starting late two six, uh, 2016 to see if he could break 150 miles an hour. He had 172 using a 5S. Um, let's see. And then he did the XLR1, uh, which was enough for 195.99. Um, so didn't have the witnesses. I think that's the one I witnessed or I was there for. Um, and uh, then he started going out again. This is the same exact place that um, he did it before. So he's got, uh, he did it with a 6S LiPo, 35 amp ESCs, uh, Cobra 2207 2450 KV motors, um, uh, HGLRC Zeus, uh, VTX, um, and F7. Only, only 35 amp ESCs? Yeah, I mean, he That's did amazing. it with all off-the-shelf parts, about a $400 build from what I read. Um, wow. And then uh, his, uh, I have one of his frames that he sent me, and literally the, the, the motor mounts is just bent one millimeter thick carbon fiber, and um, it's just held in tension by the motors at the end. It's really cool. Uh, it's basically just a flying battery. You put the battery in the core of the thing, and it, that's how it works. But um, he used a Cadex Ant, um, APC uh, 5.2 by so six inch propellers. So pretty, pretty good uh, rock there. So um, the video, it, it shows in the video. Uh, let me skip back over to here. Let me replay this. But um, his battery goes from full to empty in seconds. <laughs> it's insane. You can watch down to the bottom left. He's at four. He's kind of getting oriented. And it just goes too low for it to even be detected once he starts his runs. Let me skip it forward a little bit here. And it just empties the tank. <laughs> There's just I guess so that's much. saying he's efficient at uh, turning electricity into speed. Well, at least getting yeah. as much electricity out of his battery as fast as possible. Yeah, exactly. So huh. it's just insane. And he's doing this all with a success battery, which is pretty cool. Um, the previous yeah. record was held by um, Drone Racing League, and I think they did it with like a 12S battery. It was, I thought it was a lot 10S. Of it might be, yeah. 10 or but... 8S. He really wanted to, and that one burst into flames, I believe. Um, mm. And uh, so he really wanted to push it with a, you know, commercially, you know, viable build and um, just really rock it out. He's a really good guy. Uh, I th believe he uh, comes from Michigan. So really cool uh, thing. He, he changed the design a bit and it looks great, um, but just really neat to to see him finally get recognized for all the hard work he's put into that. I wrote it sounds a, like there's no no streamlining, it's just raw power. Or so it... he everything's aerodynamic. So he oh, okay. I, before he talked a lot about aerodynamics and and stuff when I was able to kind of interview him and talk with him before uh originally he didn't have any cowling over his motors and his motors were forward facing. These this is the old design. Okay. Um, and the tube on here uh, is all carbon fiber 3D printed. 
um, specifically designed for this by uh, uh, one of the guys he was working with that I believe was a aerospace engineer. Yeah, that makes person. a lot of that the shape makes a lot of sense. Now that's yeah. the older design. Yes, looks like a missile. It Agreed. does. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then the newer one, you can see he added cowlings, reversed his motors um, to be pushers instead of pullers, and uh, is it sitting on like a launch stand, or is that something that it goes is. with it? I think it's a launch stand, and I don't know if I can blow that's this cool. picture up. Boy, my hat's off to him for using uh, off-the-shelf equipment. That's fantastic. Yeah, so I imagine so, that green yeah. part at the bottom stays behind, and it yeah, yeah. makes it possible so, to take off. Yeah, and, I mean, you can see by the positioning of the camera, you take off vertically, and then you rotate it into position to actually do the run. And it has to be two passes uh, on a flat run. Um, one in one direction and one in the opposite direction. Those get averaged together, and that's how you get your Guinness World Record. So, very um, cool. Yeah. And two note two blades, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. All four motors have bi blades on. Yeah. yeah. So, really incredible um, that he was able to do this, and it was really cool because I was able to talk to him on the first try that he did this, and and. I wrote an article for Get FPV back in the day on it, and uh, his fastest was two two hundred two before, and so he smashed that by a significant margin. So, so did he have to get 200. any kind of waiver to do this? So they do talk about that. Um, he let's see, let me get see if I can get back to here. If we go. So flying recreationally, there isn't really the same speed limit, but if you're doing this for any other reason, like a world so, record. <laughs> So the FAA limits the speed of UAS or drone to 100 miles per hour, but like the speed limits on a road, it doesn't actually limit how fast a drone can fly. As with any vehicle, their enthusiasts obsessed with going faster and faster. Uh, last time we checked, let's see. Uh, those trying to push the limits of what a quadcopter can do was the Drone Racing League and managed to set a speed record of 163. Um, Speeds like that put a tremendous strain on the drone's electric motors and battery packs. And during testing, one of the DRL's prototypes actually burst into flame when pushed to its max speed. Uh, according to the FAA, you can request a waiver of most operational restrictions if you can show that your proposed operations can be conducted safely. safely. So Laidman headed out to the sparse deserts of Arizona with his XLR V3. Um, so all they at in least understand of... that there's a waiver process, and maybe they mm -hmm. did something with that but either way flying out in the middle of the desert is going to be pretty safe yeah um and uh let's see so with its uh weighs in at around 490 grams uh almost half the weight of drl speed demon but uses off-the-shelf electronics including batteries electric motors live stream camera and even propellers which cost about 400 dollars so yeah that's fantastic. So the official record, what a great piece now, of work. Yeah, official record now stands at 224 miles per hour, but his peak speed was 235.68. Now let's so. see him go through gates at 200 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a uh, 40 by 40 opening. <laughs> well, one of the one of the things that he talked a lot about um, with was uh, propeller tip speed and as uh, propeller tip speeds start to approach the the sound barrier 
you start to get a lot of turbulence and, and whatnot. And this was a huge limiting factor you felt for him. And this is something that even like engineers at NASA and others have tried to solve. Um, because I mean, theoretically, a propeller right. can drive something to the speed of sound, but practically is a different story, right? So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Dreaded tip vortices, which is why it's really interesting that he's using biblades, because mm-hmm. to uh, slow the prop down, you'd use a, a triblade or a quad blade. Yeah, get yourself more area. So, I'm sure he's found the right recipe. Yeah, a lot of, res- a lot of respect. <laughs> so, pretty incredible. Um, so I really wanted to spend some time on that. Um, and then, uh, last, uh, like everyone else, uh, Amazon's drone delivery, uh, unit just hit with layoffs as a 10 year old project finally launches. So, uh, yes. Yeah. I heard, but, uh, 80% of, uh, the drone unit was, uh, laid off. Yeah. Wow. And How as do you a, uh, anything with <laughs> losing 80% of the group. Well, once you get the product built, right? You got a little bit of... Yeah. Well, most companies <laughs> carry on with that. But yeah, I mean, if they dumped all of the R&D, you know. Yeah. So, they, they've been yeah, talking it's... for years about it dying. I mean, we did a story like on the news like a year, a year and a half ago mm-hmm. about Amazon right. reporting right. huge they layoffs. Shut, they shut down two a, years. U, a UK unit. Yeah. 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 Completely yeah. shut that down. Yeah. So, having... I think... I think we're seeing like that work come out, but as far as like where it goes after this and stuff, I don't, I don't really know what we're going to see. Amazon still has that idea of five pound packages, like seven miles out, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I just don't, I just don't know that that's going to be feasible for them, especially with the way that program's gone so far, you know? Yep. Yeah. It's funny with these, um, with, uh, with how they just laid off part of their drone team because they were hiring people for the drone team not too long ago. Like mm-hmm. there are ads for it for them hiring yep so i know i do know the plan was to slash eighteen thousand jobs across all of amazon and its little subsidiaries so um primary is losing a significant number of their employees sources familiar with the matter who asked not to be named said they learned about the primary cuts on wednesday when two senior amazon executives sent emails to employees notifying them that those impacted by the layoffs would be informed shortly um, one person realized yeah. what was happening when they can no longer access Slack. That's the worst way to find out. It's like, no, not only not off. only that, it, not only that, it's illegal, and that's been reported as well. It's a violation of the Warren Act. You have with the numbers uh, greater than sixty employees being laid off, you have to give employees forty five days. But mm-hmm. as the conjecture is, is uh, you know, so fine, they'll you know they'll they'll, they'll just pay, pay the fine. Forty five, yeah. But it's so. uh, yeah, it, it's really. Uh, unconscionable to uh, to lay people off without notice and now giving them a chance to uh, uh, to go you know find a job mm-hmm. so uh, we'll see what happens in the near future um, they're still saying primary is, is um, you know in existence and still operating um, but has we'll anybody actually gotten a drone delivery because don't they have a fairly large area in like Bentonville or something that they're delivering to I that's think not just Amazon. Opened. That's Walmart. It's drone up yeah. and zip, zip. Oh, yeah, that's zip all right. been Walmart. But Walmart. I think I think Amazon literally just opened. I think that's what the part of this is. I think Amazon is just... operating in California currently. Primary yeah. is operating in California, if yeah. I remember correctly. 
Um, whereas mm-hmm. Walmart's operating in most of the southern states, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas. Um, and, yeah. and Google Wing had over, I think it's over 100,000 flights in Australia, and now they're moving into the United States. One yeah. of these days, I'll try and get a Walmart drone delivery. Yeah, I think. think the wing the wing model seems like a good model. You know, they're basically not doing anything on their own. They're literally just partnering with people. I mean, that's kind of what DroneUp's doing too, but yeah. Walmart's basically going to every Walmart that, that makes sense. But uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they can get the economy of scale down to a point where they can roll, you know, they're talking about basically, you know, rolling up a, um, a half of a shipping container, dropping it outside a pizza place, and then delivering pizzas for them. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. It'll be interesting mm-hmm. as, uh, to see if that's the kind of economy of scale that can happen. So. Yeah, I don't Josh, know if I want drone delivered hot food. <laughs> yeah. It gets cold by the time it's delivered. <laughs> I know Josh, from experience. You got I can put it next to the motors. <laughs> you got to do a road trip just to go someplace to get a drone delivery and check it out. Yeah, I do. I know there is. So uh, probably about 15 miles north of me is where one of the Walmarts locally. And I, we did a news article on it the other day. Um, uh i think last week on where the the people in in surprise it was it the surprise or peoria glendale glendale area uh where they weren't too happy about it so um but yeah i'll have to i'll have to figure out how i can get a drone delivery i'm not sure that they're available in my specific area yet text jet saying he lives three miles away from a walmart that does drone delivery and they don't serve his neighborhood (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is that's one of the big things about drone delivery is like I think and Wa- Walmart's been pushing really hard for last mile. Like mm-hmm. it's like last mile or last mile and a half is like a big thing. And that's why Amazon seems crazy because they're like pushing for that five to seven miles and trying to get mm-hmm. five pounds that far. It's like a whole different scale. It's like a whole different ball game, you know. Yeah. I believe drone up is still on V Loss too. They're not they don't have V Loss yet. From mm-hmm. what I've heard. I didn't know that. Which would explain the very short short uh, service I area. Think, I think they have one large service area, but that's where they're doing the... Um, it's not drone up, but the other one where they do the slingshot Zip planes. Zipline, yeah. yeah. Zipline, yeah. yeah. But I believe drone up is still VLOS. Yeah. yeah you, can't fly, <laughs> you can't deliver very far away if you have to keep it within visual line of sight. Unless you're yeah. standing on top of a tall <laughs> tower or something. <laughs> uh yeah it's it's interesting i I don't know drone delivery who knows what's going to happen if it's going to scale like plenty was saying you know is it possible to get it scaled properly to to make it well and then the question is how much of this is based on how much these prices like you know they were talking to chat about three dollar deliveries how much of this is based on subsidizing by big tech dumping money into this Mm-hmm. Like, and then yeah. when will that pay off? Like, is Walmart making money? Is Drone Up making money on $3 deliveries? I, I seriously doubt that. They're just betting on the fact that they will make money as this scales, I'm going to guess, you know? Yeah. Well, so. I, I will say, you know, Walmart is a company that tries to innovate in different ways. I mean, there were robots scanning shelves in Walmart and and whatnot. So, I mean, they've got a heavy R&D, you know, tech division. So... We'll see what happens. They, you know, they they've had some misses, they've had some wins, and you know, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, in terms of articles, that's all I've got. It's been a little bit of a slow week uh, from that standpoint. But um, Dave, what do you got, sir? Uh, good good news on our team. We're uh, adding a team member. Uh, 
Rob is uh, from uh, law enforcement. He has uh, part 107 and FCC ham radio license. He supervises 33 public safety officers who fly UAS. He supports uh, the NFL, the NCAA, and uh, Major League Baseball uh, to help get uh, uh, TSA waivers, uh, where there are, are, of course, temporary flight restrictions, and he is also, like Alex, a FAST team uh, member. So we uh, we feel that he'll be a fantastic addition to the team and welcome him aboard. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Any, uh, um, Brian is asking if there's any status update on Frias. We did get a, uh, a response back from the individual... Uh, that uh, we are working with to set up uh, some time. They asked us if we'd put together a set of questions. So we uh, turned that around, shared it with uh, FTCA, sent in a set of questions uh, across our team here, as well as the uh, Flight Test Community Association. Sent that in. It was uh, got a thank you uh, from the FAA yesterday morning and said they'll uh, be back to us, hopefully with a, a get-together in the next week or so. Yeah, um, didn't they say they were going to get back to us by the end of that day with more information? But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so what is that? You got you to you yeah. expand everything out, Dan. I mean, the FAA's yeah, days like are longer than ours. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was like a, uh, I'll get that to you next week. And yeah. uh, <laughs> we, we didn't ask which next week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but soon, hopefully soon. So I, I mentioned in our video that we're hopefully going to have more information at the beginning of February, so I hope they don't make me a liar. The the upside is they're not ghosting us, they're talking to us, and they're responding, yeah. and that that's that's big. That's and so that's that's great. Uh, in addition, we have, uh, for those uh, probably noticed, we have, there is a fourth CBO. Um, please tell me if I'm getting it right. STEM plus C, is that the name of the uh, company? Yeah. And Paul, and I'll probably murder his last name, Kaup, K-A-U-P, I believe is Paul's last name, is the uh, founder of that firm. And they've been doing uh, STEM for about uh, 10 or 15 years. And uh, Paul's uh, an airline pilot. And so uh, he and I will set up a a chat. Uh, So we've uh, we've been back and forth. Looks like we have some different views on remote ID. Hopefully we can come to a consensus on that. So we welcome and congratulate Paul. uh, STEM plus C for being recognized by the FAA as a CBO, uh, the, the fourth CBO. Yep, 100%. Good to have more players in the field, even if there's differences of opinion. I mean, that, that invites discourse and allows us to kind of talk through stuff. So it's a good deal. Yeah, we should throw a little plug out there for our Discord server where um, some people were talking about that new CBO earlier today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can, uh, if you want to join the Discord server, you can go to our website. There's a permalink there if you want to join. Um, and uh, definitely grab that and get in here. There's always a lot going on. There's how many channels, different channels do we got going on? Probably 15 different channels um, with everything from tech support, from from other community members to... Um, you know, news, regulations, safety, um, education, all kinds of different stuff going on. So there's always a conversation going. Yeah. About sometimes something. it's a little quiet, and then sometimes it's very not quiet. <laughs> yeah. But, I'll come back after yeah. not looking at it for a few hours and really there's hundreds of messages. <laughs> but uh, if you, it, it's a great community. Um, 
And if you've got questions or concerns or, you know, maybe you just want to troubleshoot with somebody, there's there's somebody there that can probably help you. So it's a good deal. And, and we get in there and respond to stuff uh, pretty regularly. A lot of Dan getting in there. Dan's a, a great uh, leader in that community and Blunty as well. So um, the other thing I wanted to mention was the FCC and PRM. So the uh, mm-hmm. FCC's notice for public rulemaking. That we uh, that talk, that references uh, allocation of protected spectrum for UAS. So, on the face of it, a uh, very good thing. It's uh, a 114-page NPRM. Uh, I got about halfway through it. It's mostly questions, and so it's there is uh, some assertion of what might happen. There's also suggestions on things like sharing. Uh, the spectrum uh, with cell provi- cell phone providers, so someone would have to release spectrum if it's uh, if it gets saturated or in use. So uh, not uh, not doesn't I just don't see how that makes sense. But what is really interesting, why I wanted to bring it up again, is uh, the NPRM was supposed to have been released on or about January four. Within there's a sixty day note comment window. So we were scrambling to get that. And thank you, Alex, for uh, double-checking. The NPRM has not been released in the Federal Register, which means that 60-day clock has not started. Um, Back in 2021, I led a subgroup in the Drone Advisory Committee tasking group six on this topic and so i'm reaching out to a number of folks who participated in that to see if they have any uh any responses or reactions and so uh um i'm sure that there that someone will say oh yes i just spoke with so and so at the fcc and this is what they told me so that's so that that's a it's a, a very important nprm uh it is it is brutal to get through i think i spent about five or six hours just getting through half of it and uh uh it, it is uh deep 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 and and it's uh, referencing uh lots of uh, uh fcc so it's a whole nother set of uh jargon and uh regulations that uh coming from aviation were not necessarily uh attuned to how's that for a pun <laughs> And yeah, thank thank you, Dan. That's Hopefully it. That's, that's the, the right link. That they're they're not posted in the place same place the FAA ones are, right? It looks correct. Different. Yep, different and uh, yeah. So uh, very important. We do want uh, protected and allocated spectrum to operate. Uh, what's very disconcerting is there's a lot of discussion about slicing it up, slicing and dicing the spectrum that we currently use for commercial and. They, in passing, mention recreational use, but it's, uh, and they talk a lot about uh, monetizing uh, licensing spectrum. So that's troublesome in that that goes against the uh, FCC charter. So I'm sure that that will be uh, one of our comments is that to hit us up again for yet another fee is not going to be well received. So we'll see what happens. But uh, other work with uh, the two tasking groups coming along, we are, uh, that's tasking group uh, 14 and 15. 14 is the beyond visual line of sight. Uh, What can industry do to accelerate uh, early 
uh, rule uh, creation or rule updates to enable beyond visual line of sight. Uh, TG15 is um, helping uh, drone operators and AAM operators uh, perform a community outreach. So you're going to launch a program or an operation, set of operations in an area. How do you get to the public? How do you get to the people who are, who are stakeholders and let them know and get their uh, okay and approval if required? So good piece of work. Uh, great group of folks. Uh, pitching in on that one. And so we're both we're targeted to wrap up both of those tasking groups in time for the March. I don't think the date's quite set, but it's probably on or around um, 16 to 8, 20 March. And nothing new on the uh, counter UAS aviation rulemaking committee. Uh, that was we anticipate in February. Haven't heard anything uh, um, uh, on that. Cool. All right. So we got, let's see. Dave, make sure you message later about an interview opportunity. I'm gauging interest from the production area first. Phase. Okay. Oh, sorry. Send him an email. <laughs> Dave likes yeah, email. Absolutely. email. Yeah. yeah, I love email. In all seriousness, that would be preferable. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, Blunty, what do you got? Anything? Do you have a new video card yet? Nope, sure don't. Oh, man. Bummer. We, need get, we need to get Blunty a video card. Yeah, um, yeah, that's unfortunate. But no, I don't. Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing pressing. So, okay. Alex, anything for us? Uh, no, not really. Uh, great racing's just as it is, and the season's out there. Not much else mm-hmm. going on. Uh, well, uh, Wootopia. Also, I think that was last weekend. Mm-hmm. That end, that finished up. Uh, people seem to have fun at that. Uh, there was some drama in the racing community. Uh, also earlier with MLDR and AK stepping down. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that. Smooth sailing. And uh, is that what's was the race that you mentioned in February? Is it on Long Island? Is that uh, public open to the public? Uh, yeah, it's open to the public, but yeah, that's just a general tiny wolf race that's local to the area. There's okay. others all across the country, so yep, great. Yeah, cool, cool. Dan, anything from you, sir? Uh, nothing from me, but over on YouTube, uh, at the beginning of our live stream, Jason Black was saying or asking, uh, with remote ID on its way, is Lance dead? And I think he was sort of getting at, shouldn't all we need to do to comply with the regulations is you know fire up Lance and get approval to go fly? How would you guys respond to a question like that? Is Lance dead? So nope. no, Lance is, is completely separate from remote ID. So the, the easiest way to put it is Lance is required in any airspace, any controlled airspace with the exception of class G, which is technically uncontrolled airspace. So um, Lance is required to fly within those areas. Um, controlled airspace is generally uh, gonna be airspace where there's heavier traffic um generally around airports helipads um stuff like that and 
uh, filing a request through Lance is required to fly in those spaces. Um, generally, they will, if you look at, you can go to the UAS facility maps, um, which uh, will give you an idea of where those controlled airspaces are, as well as a maximum ceiling for any kind of uh, flight uh, within those areas. So they generally go from zero, uh, which would be closest to the airports, especially at the, the ends of the runway where planes are taking off and landing, uh, all the way up to 400 feet in those spaces. Um, and a lot of times when you apply for Lance, um, you will, you know, get a, a maximum ceiling and it may be lower than that. And, you know, depending on what kind of waiver or opportunities there are, it could be a little higher, uh, but you have to kind of put in the times you're flying and, and whatnot. So uh, remote ID is completely separate. That's what they're calling the uh, license plate in the sky, right? It's giving your, your information on uh, where you're taking off from. Um, and where you're flying, what your vectors are, um, how high you are, um, et cetera. And as well as uh, a couple different things in terms of with standard remote ID, trouble, uh, troubleshooting messages and, and whatnot. So um, completely different. Uh, remote ID is for identification where Lance is for authorization. So uh, two separate systems working in conjunction with each well, other. I can sort of see how the two could have overlapped or there is some overlap mm -hmm. like let's say i'm flying in controlled airspace and or you're near an airport and you see a drone you could bring out your remote id app and it could reference lance and say oh the only person authorized to fly here via lance is this drone and it tells mm -hmm. you everything about him because lance knows everything about him right. but that's not what the faa chose to do and we could also go back to the original nprm and our yeah. response uh, yeah. when they were talking about network remote id and everything and i think we said something in our response saying, hey, wouldn't it be great if Remote ID worked like Lance, where you bring up an app on your phone, you say, I'm flying in this area, I don't need nope. a module on my drone, everything you need to know about me is from a Lance-like application that would be in all airspace. But again, that's not the direction the FAA chose to go. Right. Yeah, yeah and that's, it's, that's a noti it's, notify and fly, and uh, Aloft is using that, and I could see the the tie-in as well, Dan, where you could say, well, if I use notify and fly, then I've defined a three-dimensional volume where I'm going to fly, right. so why do I need remote ID? And it's yeah. uh, we feel a pretty legit um, uh, point, but it's not uh, exactly not agree with you. Work. It's not the way the FAA is taking it right now. Yeah. So notify and fly was was really the, the the answer that we were pushing for over remote ID um, because it just makes a whole lot of sense. And there's an older video from flight tests where they were working with Google Wing uh, and showcase notify and fly. And uh, it was a great showcase. It just didn't roll out that way. So um, and Again, it, this doesn't necessarily, I, I want to you know, reiterate this point when it comes to what the FAA is doing versus uh, what they're mandated to do. So um, it wasn't that notify and fly wasn't an option, but Congress mandated remote identification um, in the Reauthorization Act of 2018. So um, this was mandated from Congress. The FAA had to move on it. It's part of their 
you know, in order to to uh, receive money from the federal government for all their programs, this is what they need to do. So um, keep in mind that a lot of this stuff that, you know, we're so unhappy with the FAA for um, a lot of that unhappiness and um, ire is misplaced. So uh, a lot of this does come from Congress. And I encourage you, if you see something you don't like, or if you hear of something that's in the works that you don't like, reach out to your Congress people. Uh, I don't care how you vote, vote and um, and get out and, and have that line of communication with the people who are supposed to represent you. Speaking that's about uh, contacting congressmen, um, what can our members do about the upcoming FAA 2023 Reauthorization Act and contacting their, their representatives? So one of the things you can do is is reach out and um, do we have that form up, Dan? Have we have we finalized that yet? I, think I feel like working. we haven't finished what we were starting on, and that was a long time ago. So no, 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 no. I no. We think were I working did, on it last week. I think I did oh, up, that update one. it, so it's it's real yeah. close. So we have con yeah. uh, So this is a, a great discussion, and uh, might be a couple of days ahead of where we were ready. But uh, we've made uh, up. We we created a back in October. We created a set of uh, items that we would have as requests to Congress for the 2023 FAA Reauthorization Act. Um, we then uh, had another uh, contact with a uh, congressional staffer on the Aviation Subcommittee a couple of weeks ago, and we have an opportunity to send uh, and have a discussion, hopefully with the with the house and uh, as we had mentioned the uh the act is both uh by carmel and bipartisan so that's beneficial we and so uh, uh we will uh communicate uh early and often and so i i think what uh, we can and should do is uh uh provide that uh here's here's what we're asking and if your uh, congressional representative or senators are on one of the two uh aviation subcommittees um, give them a give them a call. Give them send them a note, and you'll have the you know steal any of the points that uh, that we'll put forward as things that uh, that we feel from listening to the community are important for the 2023 FAA Reauthorization Act. Sound so, like a plan? Yes, totally sounds like a plan. So what section? Yeah, I'm pulling that. Text text right asking now. what section of the Reauthorization Act dictated remote ID, and can someone give me a reference? Yep, um, it's yeah, forty-four eight oh nine. It's in that document. Mm -hmm. I don't remember which part of forty-four eight oh nine. I think it might be just in the general bullet points. I will get that to you. Uh, I'm guessing it's all over the place in that reauthorization act, but yeah, a handful of things. Yeah, the one thing that was not in the Reauth Act was um, Frias. That was that came out of the uh, uh, rule uh, RID rule. Yes. Let's see. So it's in the document. Yes. Yeah, I'm in it right now. Yeah. Section Section forty four eight oh nine is the exception to Part one hundred seven. Let's see. Permit the testing of various remote identification and tracking technologies valued by the Unmanned Aircraft Systems Identification and Tracking Aviation Rulemaking Committee. Um, 
I'll be right back. And while Josh is looking that up, if anybody else has any other questions we can answer before we're done tonight, uh, please let us know. Whether that's over in the YouTube channel in the chat, the Discord chat, or uh, if you want to speak up on your microphone, go for it. Oh, KBS Ken has a <laughs> pasted Section a long one. Section 375 text chat is where you want to be in the reauthorization. I started a dialogue with one of my senators regarding remote ID modules in part 107 operations. I talked with her about how I felt that remote ID provides little to no value, in my opinion, regarding safety uh, of the national airspace. Um, depending on how things go, I may try to get an audience with her or her staff and illustrate the one-size-fits-all issues we see. With example, my 350-gram drone treated like a big threat. Yeah, so we can point out, uh, for people who don't know, uh, for remote ID, there's a call-out that says, if you home build your own drone, you can buy a remote ID module and put it on it and go fly outside, and that meets the remote ID rules. But if you're using this for something that's not recreational, so let's say you're hired to do a film set and you want to build your own Cinelifter, you can't put a module on that and comply with remote ID. You have to buy a Cinelifter from a company, basically, who's gone through all the manufacturing requirements to have standard remote ID that broadcasts the location of your radio and all that in order to do any Part 107 work. And what we and lots of people feel is that that's just not acceptable. There should be a way yeah. that a, you could home build a drone for Part 107 use and put a module on it, and it meets plenty of the safety requirements of remote ID. Right. And we've had what Dan is saying verified twice, uh, uh, and the second time by the FAA uh, Remote ID Project Office. So we're certainly not happy about it. And it is a change of their position from January 2021. Uh, but that's that's the situation, and it's really not good. So there's a comment there about BV loss for recreational FPV flyers. Yeah, I don't think they're in says, our chat. That's uh, it's a it's in the general. No, no, no. The person themselves oh. are not listening to us. I think they're just typing oh. in the general chat. It says, are there any info when BV loss will be possible for recreational FPV flyers? It's not likely unless uh, something changes in the Reauthorization Act for yeah. 2023. Basically, that's the simplest way to put it. Yeah, the and the BB loss right now is is very restricted um, with uh, certain companies and contractors and whatnot getting access to that uh, kind of playing field. Um, but there's a lot of hoops that they have to jump through in order to, to do that. Either they're working in one of the UAS corridors or they're implementing uh, kind of like what we were talking about earlier with Walmart. Um, and uh, and if, if there is, it it will be a, a long road. And so if we, yeah. if we think about the timeline for BB loss, uh, we just did for part 107, we just concluded the... Remember, this is FAA just concluded. This is March 2022. We just wrapped up the um, BB loss arc. And so now a year later, they're, uh, they're coming back and saying, well, could you tell us what we might be able to do first with if the industry helps? And that's literally what the, uh, what the tasking group that the ACK or the 
um, Advanced Aviation Advisory Committee has asked, and that's the uh, comeback in March of 2023. The We can, can anticipate that it will be several years between the conclusion of the ARC and the first NPRM. Then it would make sense that it might be another year until we see a rule for BV loss. So we're talking four years for 107. Then at that point, once we've nailed that down, we we will hope we will hopefully have a leg to stand on and some data that we'll be able to point to why can't we also add this to 44809. Mm-hmm. That that's the path. It's not a guarantee and it's a long path. Uh we we there are uh some of the work we're doing. I'm optimistic that we might get some shorter runway pun intended. Uh, BV loss or extended virtual line of sight, visual yeah, uh, visual line of sight uh, waivers or, or um, moving from a waiver into Part 107, which would be very positive. Then we could shorten the path to recreational. So, apologize for a, a long answer. It's a good question. Everybody needs to keep in mind, and we've nailed this down to a science: is that the FAA operates on black hole time. So they're flying close to a black hole. We're all just going normal time. <laughs> it's time dilation, y'all. Ooh. So. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they're not punished at all for going taking their time, apparently. So No. So. Reminds me when I told a professor he had the uh, memory of a fish, which was measured in nanoseconds. <laughs> And that's the only explanation for it. You know, stuff that was supposed to be here five years ago is just now rolling out. So, yeah, in the wrong sequence. Yeah, a little bit. So right. anyway, it, it you know, that's that's government for us. So. All right. Yeah, if only they took so long to leave things the way they were, like the old rules about not making rules for recreational or, you know, leaving recreational alone and taking a long time to make rules against it, that would be fine. The way they've gone, it's, uh, yeah, not so great. So Yeah, and there's a good uh, point here. The FAA was trying not to indefinitely delay Part 108. Of course, 108 is uh, a phrase that we made up in the Beyond Visual Line of Sight Aviation Rulemaking Committee. It's not anything that has any formality behind it. However, um, it's viewed as a, a very positive delineation between okay we can enhance 107 a bit and then you know we really need something else additional training additional certification etc still not a, not a practical in all likelihood however you're you know you're flying something that's heavy you're flying it for hundreds of miles away i like the idea of uh, someone uh, having a little more uh, uh, training uh, who's going to have that sort of responsibility so I think the, and if you think about it, the, you know, there are a lot of uh, you know, financial interests that are keenly interested in that, both in uh, small UAS as well as AAM. So hopefully uh, we can see movement on uh, what we would term Part 108. Yeah, so if I remember right, to add on to a little bit of what you just said, so during the Beyond Visual Line of Sight rulemaking committee, they were talking about what what rules would require, say, a whole new Part 107 that or one, Part 108, where you might need to take a test and prove you're really you know, capable of things. And what could be added on to an existing Part 107 that's relatively safe, but could get you some beyond, beyond, beyond visual line of sight capabilities? Mm-hmm. 
And of course, that was all just what was proposed to the FAA, and who knows, someday we'll eventually see what they decide to do. Right. So, definitely, definitely an interesting conversation. Elephant in the room, how do we get... How do we get rid of the visual observer rule? So, well, every part 107 pilot should apply and obtain a flying without a spotter waiver uh, and mm-hmm. then fly safely. And then the FAA will likely have to uh, move on that. Right. And there, there are um, several that are, are granted and there's, uh, they're becoming more and more um, commonplace. Uh, that one is it, the uh, eliminating the visual observer totally is going to run into uh, significant hurdles with uh, the the uh, helicopter association international and AOPA among others. So that one's you know it makes a ton of sense, um, but it's uh, uh, we do you know I agree completely with what Dan's saying. That's what we're going to try, and that's what we should be going for. We will. Uh, hit significant uh, crude aircraft association resistance. So, okay. So I just want to kind of wrap up uh, uh, for TextJet on the information he was asking for. So I believe it's 375. uh, No, I apologize. It is 376. Plenty is correct. Um, So they talk about remote ID early on about uh, assessing assessing the the need for it and then below they said shall require that utm services um sorry uh include an assessment of various components required for the necessary risk reduction and mitigation in relation to the use of utm services including remote identification of both cooperative and non-cooperative unmanned aircraft systems in the national airspace system um, and then they go on to say um Let's see, where was the other one I saw? Um, let's see, completion of UTM system pilot program. Ensure that the UTM system pilot program is established in Section 2208 of the FAA Extension Safety and Security Act of 2016. It's conducted to meet the following objectives of a comprehensive UTM system by the conclusion of the pilot program. Uh, permit the testing of various remote ID uh I'm sorry, remote identification and tracking technologies evaluated, and then they have to implement, including an assessment of various components required for necessary risks. Uh, it's the implement, implementation plan contents, the plan required by the subsection shall uh, include an assessment of various components required for the necessary risk reduction uh, and mitigation in relation to the use of UTM services, including remote identification. So, um, sorry, that's a long, long thing to get to. Um, identifying, testing, and rolling out remote identification. And if you're in there reading Section 376, you can glance back to Section 374 and get a little background on the FCC alloc- NPRM. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it gets, uh, no, you're fine, TechJet. I don't mind. This is this is what we do, right? So, um Oh yeah, we love have... to read regulations and find things in them. It's look if, <laughs> if you fun. haven't read something, if you haven't read something in a regulation. I mean, my opinion: if you haven't read something in a regulation, you know, uh, go read it. You know, like it's it's good to learn where that stuff is and how they write it and what they tell mm-hmm. people and like how they organize it and where it comes from and like it's 
I think it's very positive to say like, where is this actually at in the actual regulation mm -hmm. and learn the yep. language that they use and how it was implemented and how it was added and all those things are super important. So. Yep, totally yeah, agree absolutely. with you. Uh, on the other hand, we're also here to try to um, yes. yeah. help everybody else who doesn't have the time or isn't going to do that, uh, try to summarize yep. it and help them understand it. And we're also really good at picking these apart. Um, Dan, especially, yeah. is really great at picking it apart, playing devil's advocate, and and getting to the meat and and potatoes of of stuff. So, you know, that's what we do. We want to try and interpret this stuff for the you know lay person, so that if you don't have the time or you don't have the energy to make it through, you know, all four hundred and five hundred pages of the yeah. FAA reauthorization document, also you know. We can get that to you. Also, just a hot tip for people who are who are learning this stuff: Control F is your friend. Yes. And if you and you just got to learn the term they use. You can sometimes look at the top for definitions to find the term they use. But you're basically just like trying to figure out. In this case, it is remote ID. You can control F remote ID. But a lot of times you're like trying to come up with, you know, if you control F FRIA, you're not going to find. You know, you have to control F FAA identified. You know, like it's that sort of thing. So yeah. you learn those terms, and then you can kind of dig through them pretty quickly. But yeah, yeah. it's super dense. This stuff is super annoying to get through. And uh, yeah, we're happy to try to help That's you find. Almost it. like you have so. to learn a second language before you can read it. Yeah. <laughs> properly. Yeah, you do sometimes right. yeah and this is what's telling me with the with the oh, fcc one it's yet another language yeah. yeah mike fpv uh asks uh hasn't the fpv community already proven that flying without an observer is safe and uh, as dan said yeah yeah we have but not the way the faa wants and uh we well, have to the play FAA, by their rules yeah the faa and, sincerely believes that we all fly with spotters i mean to be honest with you that 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 is their genuine belief and and uh, they we're flying video drones that go 10 to 20 miles an hour and yeah. they, we have uh, we're you know when we do you know look there now and again we look you know at a uh, an iPad or some monitor uh, above the uh, uh, the controller yeah so yeah, yeah the, however in in favor of FPV um, we were able to get uh, significant uh, sections in the BV loss arc to talk about uh, FPV as a useful way to incre increase situational awareness. Mm -hmm. So that's the right yeah. place to start. Yeah. Somehow we finally got that concept across in one place. Yeah. But maybe we and can it, and it share took a that. long time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, people, as soon as you put the goggles on and fly, especially with DJI or some HD system, you immediately realize, oh, I can see everything much more quickly and I know exactly what's going on around me. Well, and yeah. here's the thing is if you've never done, uh, I always, I recommend it. If you haven't done the, um, just a, uh, the pilot explorer uh, thing, it's not super expensive. You get to go up and, you know, a Cessna or, or some other trainer type plane. And uh, you get to experience what it's like to actually be in the pilot seat of a of a um, crude aircraft. Crude aircraft. And, yeah, I had to think of the right You can't thing. see anything. Right. You can't see anything. Crap. Yeah. And so FPV, I mean, if you want to look and see what's behind you, the, there's a reason fighter jets have bubble canopies, guys. It's because they need to be able to see, but most airplanes do not have that. So if you want to be able to see behind you, it good luck. And uh, whereas an FPV aircraft can can make a 180 degree turn in what a quarter of a part second? of a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so. and uh, DFW FPV says uh, he, that he identifies as two people. So may I please oh, yeah. steal that? 
I, oh my god, that's why I that's why I started laughing a couple of minutes ago. But aren't that's they both wearing FPD goggles? Wait, <laughs> wait, how long? I can I have can I have Chat GPT watch me? Is that... right. <laughs> <laughs> Most people have a dog that's a better visual observer than anyone else standing nearby them, anyway. Yeah, but, I should just put a tennis ball on it on my drone, and dog will watch it. Yeah, chase right. it too. What we go, need to do go is go get it if I go down. Try to get more FPV employees to put on a pair of FPV goggles. Um, we've been successful, especially yeah. Alex. You were at the yeah. AAAC meeting a while ago and got some of the AAAC mm -hmm. members to fly some uh, Emacs. Which model were they? The Easy Pilot Pros. Easy or the Easy Pilot. Yeah. Yeah. And then at Exponential, was able to get most of the people in the FAA booth on Velocidrone. Nice. So cool. KBS Ken says, I think we need a web page with cut and paste words to send their senator along with contact. So that's what we were talking about earlier is uh, getting the, our our sticking points up. But here's the deal is cut and paste for uh, contacting your senator. Congress is OK. Absolutely works right. uh, on NPRMs when we release not something so on NPRM. Not so good. So what you can do and. For, for things like NPRMs, what we have done in the past, especially with remote identification, is we publish a document and then we encourage you to link to that document or add that document along with your own comments. Which and... we would like to be polite, professional, and productive. Please. Yes. So, um, but yes, when it comes to reaching out to your Congress people and it comes to sticking points on the FAA Reauthorization Act, 100%. And that's what we were talking about earlier, that we are wrapping up work on, making sure our wording's correct, making sure we're hitting the issues that matter. And we will get that up on our website for a cut and paste. So feel free to utilize it. Yeah, and even better, I'm use what we have as, as a template and modify it to in your own words. It would be even Yeah, be 100%. Yeah. Let's see. My hands identify as eyes. There you go. Identify as less than a 250 gram drone. <laughs> as long Love as you're it. only doing it recreationally, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I flying identify as flying indoors. <laughs> so I only, fly, yeah, only flying indoors. Okay, yep. and Mr. Seabax has said that, I uh, don't know if I'm jumping the gun here, but there's no need to comment on this. Been researching remote ID modules, and the current companies are yep. all non-US drone tag and a Turian come to mind. Both are European Union. And I just uh, point out that uh, Josh Bixler, president of uh, Flight Test, has said that uh, Flight Test will have a solution targeted toward recreational. So there's a, a US company. Yep. So uh, identify as the same as what Rotoriot is trying to <laughs> Yeah, the Rotoriot. That's yeah, I think we uh, chatted about that a couple of weeks ago. Not the yeah. path we would have taken. You know, if we had said inside, then it's, you know, they could have would have been a different uh, different path. Uh, anyway. Yeah. With a lot so of aircraft changes. Uh, with the situational awareness of FPV and how it is, how we know that it's pretty safe, but the FAA still has to prove it their way. I wonder if there are any studies from fps games where uh to describe the situational awareness of people in there because that seems like they're it's more likely that that would have a study on it that could be 
similar to um because that's very similar to what we're what we experience with our racing or with our drones with fpv and if we could take one of those studies to show how people can have excellent situational awareness in an fps game that's an interesting point what's the rotation rate of like the turret on an apc or something like is there like also some kind of equivalent with like some sort of military vehicle or something? Idea either. You know? yeah, i don't know but i just but that there might be an interesting avenue that we could look at yeah yeah Definitely. yeah look at you. talk about a well-funded or uh industry they do a fair amount of research Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've got a question like here. Had anyone proposed the use of something like flight a flight radar application with an alarm of aircraft in range as an alternative to an observer? Where's X so, He's over on YouTube so, right now. So <laughs> he, he did AD, work on so ADS, something like that. ADSB is explicitly prohibited from remote ID. However, in the Beyond Visual Line of Sight Aviation Rulemaking Committee we asserted that a crewed aircraft flying below 500 feet must have ADS-B squawk output. That allows all UAS to put an ADS-B receiver on. They're small. They're pretty cheap. They do not have to be uh, TSO'd. And uh, that's exactly what's inside a lot of uh, DJI drones today. So I think so, what yeah, they're saying lot, is lots of talk about that. if you had something on you that would alert you to an aircraft in the area, then you could get out of the way. So why would you need well, an ID? But that's a totally like a different thing. Yeah, so keep keep that in mind. That's only one aspect of what a visual observer is supposed to do, right? Not only are they supposed to watch the skies, they're supposed to watch the area in which you're flying. So right. if ground piled, layers, your layers, of, layers of safety. You can't right, just strip so, it all out. Birds, so, so birds, animals, small children running in the into the middle of the racetrack. You know stuff like that that you need to be aware of. It's not just the skies. So and I X, get where you're going with it. But. Xjet saying over on YouTube that the ADSB alarm will be released as soon as the supply of Raspberry Pis improves. Which <laughs> I, I've been trying to buy yeah. some for work, and I have an alert that went off yesterday that said the store of uh, the the Adafruit place had 63 of them. And I refreshed oh. the page and it was 42. And I refreshed the page and it was 20. I refreshed the page five sweet, and gone. Like within one minute, all of them were sold out. So there Selling are- Selling my Raspberry Pi 3 for $600. <laughs> they're starting to be available, but still going extremely fast. Good God. That's yes, crazy. it's uh, going to take, take a while for the uh, uh, IT industry to- uh, Catch up. Yeah, for sure. Right, so, really. All right. Uh, let's see. I feel that none of the regulators have ever flown FPV and not a position to understand without actually flying. And that's something Alex is working on. But I would say the bigger issue is getting Congress people behind the goggles. Uh, 100%. Just remember, government is full of people that haven't done the thing a lot of times because those yes. are the people that end up in those positions. That's just sort of how this stuff goes uh, very, 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 very often. So, yeah. The, yeah, the best we could do, like we've talked about, is letting people understand positions of people who are doing this. And if you can genuinely speak to people about this stuff and get people interested, I, I really think a lot of these people will care. They just don't know how or why to care because they've never encountered it and have no reason to. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So Slarty says, geez, don't use that. I get shot on the internet in the back all the, on COD all the time. <laughs> yeah, and to the to the earlier point about getting folks, you know, one of the two people that Alex got to uh, fly FPV at a um, AC meeting was a chair of the AC, uh, Houston Mills. Uh, so fighter pilot background, mm -hmm. vice president of UPS and chair of the AC. Very decent person. And there's someone who, who has an open mind. So... Great, uh, great job by Alex, and uh, I'm sure uh, that that's someone that we could have a conversation with. Yeah. Uh, to answer Texas questions, he says birds question mark. Yeah, uh, birds. So um, I've had a couple run-ins with birds. There's also areas that um, are coming. I had a news article. It it wasn't interesting enough to bring up, but now that you say it, where they're shutting down areas to drones because of you know nesting birds. So. Yeah, birds. Um, all hazards. Yeah. Uh, I hear an aircraft in the air and I'm below obstacles 99% of the time, which is what shielded operations is and something we've been pushing. Right. Um, yeah, so. I have a weird question. On my patio door ever with my what's your, what's your question, Blunty? So if I'm trying to comply with the law and I want to be cool uh, with the law and stuff, I, and I'm 44809, I'm flying under wreck. Uh, where I'm at now, I just moved here in Alabama. I'm close to uh, Fort Rucker in Alabama, and they do a lot of uh, helicopter flights. And there is like all the time there's a helicopter flying, what seems like two or 300 feet above my house, like, uh, you know, like two times, three times a week. So I'm wondering, like, like uh, how do I find out? Like, there's, there's nothing on the map when I look at Lance that tells me there's any kind of special considerations for height. So, but it, obviously I'm going to be avoiding helicopters if I'm flying within my legal limit of 400 feet quite mm -hmm. often. So is there some way I can see like training pat? Yeah, you know, I know on the maps sometimes when, when I did 107, there are like training patterns that are set there, but those are kind of like, they don't seem like you they're can, always there and stuff. Is there some where I can like know as the pilot what the to base. expect? Right. Yeah, you like, can call the base. You can call the base, ask them what they can tell you about their missions because they're not going to be yeah. able to tell you everything, but what... Right. I see what you can get out of it just as an airspace situational awareness. Yeah. Uh, the one you could also have it so that maybe if they're doing a mission near you, they could call you. I know before we went to Lance, uh, when I when we had to call into the tower to get airspace approval for flight, once I called for approval, got approval to fly. Ten minutes later, I got a call back from the tower saying. We that I needed to land because there's going to be some uh, low flying helicopter activity in my area. Um, so, uh, so this, the tower I was near was able to communicate maybe, that information for me. Maybe a better question then is like, is something like that is something that could eventually be implemented into Lance, or like how how is there in the future? Is it always just going to be like uh, visual line of sight avoidance of these kind of things? Like, is there any no. way in the future? You know, currently with Lance, it doesn't go to the towers unless you're doing something outside of the stock area. So right. if you're inside the, okay. so it's the 400, so it's a 300 foot grid and you're doing 250 feet, the tower's not going to know about it. But if you're doing 350 feet in a 300 foot, the tower will get a notification to approve or deny it. But that's only based on like an airspace, is what you're saying, right? Like, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's, there's some good points in the in the chat, and also uh, military aircraft do not have to squawk ADSB. Is is that right? 
pretty. Yeah, so I would imagine so, that's correct. But. Sometimes they do. So to me, that would be you know, a good question yeah. to ask the folks on the base. Hey, you know, I can procure an ADSB receiver. Uh, just stay out of your way. Would that be a help? And if they're like, yeah, don't bother. Or right. yeah, something. we squawk all the time. Right. So here's <clears> something <throat> I just want to show. So this is the UAS facility maps. Um, so I just pulled up Fort Rucker, right? Um, yeah. One of the things you can do, obviously, the the big red areas, those are your kind of your your no go areas. But if you click on a spot, um, it will give you the information, um, contact information, including phone numbers of who you can call gotcha. uh, that oversee those areas. And okay. um, it'll give you like it's showing this this range, but it's not giving any kind of uh, height information like uh, it shows over Napier Field, which is a local airport there. So right. um, but what you can do is reach out to the person of contact and this is actually Karen's uh, Army Airfield here, and it gives uh, Mr. So, Jerry Lewis his information here to reach if you out. Click, if you click out of that circle, is there like general information for the area or anything? Because so, that's where, because I'm not in a circle. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm like if you're south not, of that. So this was, I just clicked on the red box for Karen's Army yeah. Airfield here. So if you yeah. click in Fort Rucker, um, yeah, I'm like gives, way south of all that stuff, but I'm still getting a bunch of those flights over me at super yeah, low so, altitudes. I mean, technically, like way be, down there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if they're if they're doing overflights and whatnot, um, I would still reach out to them yeah. and have a conversation. And be like, look, I want to be safe. I want you guys to be safe. I, I just want to make think, sure that we're all doing the right thing. Yeah, I think the ADSP is a good idea too, at least to see mm -hmm. you know what's there and stuff. And I'm sure there's different traffic there too. Maybe like police helicopters or yeah, whatever else is in the area. So. So and um, the best information, Vices, for um, getting uh, controlled airspaces is this UAS facility map. So this should be the map that before you fly and aloft and everybody else uh, utilizes to pull their data from as long as they're getting the most current map. So uh, I can't speak for before you fly. It should be using aloft's data. Um, uh, I find aloft itself to be more accurate, um, but that's just me. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, that's a great way to figure out, um, you know, if you're if you're doing the right thing. You know, Phoenix because of our weather is uh, we're inundated with airports, and we're also so like the way that we're set up over here. Uh, Blunty, as you can see, Luke Air Force Base actually has its own uh, ceilings on it. Right. And it also has, these are their vectors, or their sectors that they do training in. <clears throat> so gotcha. these are their overflight areas. So maybe it's just something that they need to get the information over to the FAA to update the UAS facility maps. Right. So, um, <clears throat> but Arizona is also, or Phoenix is also a massive pilot training area. So there's tons of different sectors, you know, north and west. Generally not south, I don't think, but definitely uh, um, east, west, and, and north. There's a bunch of training areas for, for student pilots. So, yeah. So cool. best source of information is right there. Contact info um, should be kept up to date. I believe these are updated 
quarterly. So every fifty-six days, I think. Yeah, something like that. So good. Yep. So, any other questions? Great, great, great topics tonight, Alex. I we we need to definitely look into your suggestion. I like that idea. That's a good idea. All right. Yep. All right. Well, with that, guys, we I know we ran a little bit over, um, but I appreciate it. Slardy says, I wish Congress had set an FAA control floor in uncontrolled airspace. I say 200. It's silly to regulate drones lower than a kite or a tree line. Shielded operations, that's what we're going for. So uh, something similar, not quite exactly that. But All right. Well, great having a conversation with you guys great questions great topics uh really appreciate all the interaction we'll we'll see you again in two weeks and yep. we'll do it again for those of you who don't know we try to do this thoughts. try to do this every other week on wednesday nights um so if you <laughs> want to know our regular schedule that's what we're striving for unless weird holidays and stuff get in there but yeah but we're past all that <laughs> we're good for every two weeks for quite a while <laughs> yep. 100%. All right, guys. Thanks. Y'all have a great one. Thank you.